You're listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen, and this is episode 35. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the CSP Podcast. So glad to have you back, as always. Today on my show, I'm happy to welcome Mr. Scott Harmon, occupational therapist, to talk about what it takes to open up a private practice. Scott, to me, is the guy. He is the source for all things private practice. So if you're interested, if you have a practice, maybe you're in a solo practice and it's fledgling, Maybe you're thinking of starting a practice, maybe you've dipped your toes in the water, and maybe you're doing a little bit of early intervention or some contract work and you're not quite sure. Uh, he's, he's the source as far as I'm, as, I, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I've read his stuff and uh, he's the real deal. Um, so in addition to being an OT, he's got his brick and mortar practice. He has a podcast just like I do. Uh, Scott has written a ebook on starting a private practice. And that book is called Start and Grow Therapy Practice. Very comprehensive book. I've taken a look at it myself. It has pretty much everything you would need to get started. And of course, Scott offers something even more than that. If you want the full Megillah, you would want to get into his Academy of Private Practice. So essentially what this is, is a, a series of video tutorials on all aspects of starting a private practice. It's more than that, of course. You will get all of his templates and forms that he uses access to his Facebook group, and of course, access to Scott if you should have any questions. So that's a, check that out. It's a much more comprehensive uh, product there. But uh, let's get into this conversation with Mr. Scott Harmon. Uh, stick around for the end. I have a little giveaway I want to talk about. Uh, thanks to Scott himself. Scott Harmon, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Good to talk to you. Good. It's been a year since you interviewed me for your show. Has it been that long? Yeah. I remember it was a summer. It was last summer. Yeah. I wow. Guess. It's that's yeah, it flew. It really flew. <laughs> it really has. Well, I guess it's been, that's a good thing, really. Time, time flies when you're having fun, right? I guess. I wonder who does time <laughs> fly faster for the person working in a school district or a clinic or the person running a, a private practice. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I've worked in the schools before, and so you're always waiting for summer. You know, you're waiting for summer to get here, and that May just creeps by. It does. It's, it's like it, things kind of just uh, slow down in spring, and you're just waiting. Um, so I wanted to um, get into, I want to start with your bio, because some people in the audience might not know who you are, and we're going to talk um, a lot about your practice and the coursework you've created, your ebook, your uh, mm-hmm. your Academy of Private Practice e-course. So why don't you just jump in and just explain to us um, who you are, why you got into occupational therapy, and uh, what your early days were like as an OT. Yeah, so I'm not a speech therapist, and, and hopefully your audience is okay with that. I, I work with plenty of speech therapists, and I'm, yeah. actually, I'm actually trying to coach some of my daughters to be a speech therapist. I think that's some of them want to be an OT. I've got five, I've got six kids. Excuse me. (laughs) Sometimes I forget. (laughs) I said that the other day. I said, I have five kids and my wife corrected me. She said, you have six. So (laughs) yeah, it reminds me of the Jim, you you know, uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. 
I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah, he's doing these, uh, you know, Chrysler. Uh, what's the new one? Pacifica commercials and i love his comedy and like he has this bit where someone says i think i saw him on jerry seinfeld the show the comedians in cars getting coffee and he said um you know uh you have any kids he's like you know five five kids he's like what are their names i don't know yeah that's always that's always a fun joke to pull on me that's, yeah <laughs> when's their birthday i have no idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> have it written down though yeah so I'm sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. So uh, I'm an occupational therapist and my wife is an occupational therapist also. I worked, when I first got out of school, I did contract work at a developmental daycare and I did that for 12 years and I also did some side stuff and my wife did too. She worked at a developmental daycare, a different one than I did, and she wanted to do adults. And so she took out a contract with the county doing home health and treating adult clients, mostly stroke patients. And she just loved it. Loved the, the difference between the children and the adults. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of opened my mind to, even though I was doing contract work, you know, I was done at three o'clock at the school I was at. They closed at three o'clock. I had a couple hours. And so I took on some after school contract work. So that was sort of a stepping stone into private practice. And I hear that a lot from the private practice owners that, that I talk to is usually there's a stepping stone, not always, but sometimes they're like, you know, I got my feet wet doing some contract work on the side after my full-time job. And that, that gave me the entrepreneur bug. Yeah. Yeah. That I, was, that was the case for me. Yeah. I, and I think that was the case for me. I, I, I dipped my toes in and then I was, I was set. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a great way to do it just to see, because you have some autonomy as far as more responsibility that people really aren't following up on you as much as if you're in a facility and there's timelines, if you're doing contract work for someone else, I'm sure they have timelines, but there's usually, there should be some scheduling autonomy there as far as making your own schedule and, and what days you work and whatnot. That's how it works in my practice. Yeah. The therapists get to make their own schedule. Now, but it took you 12 years to get to that point. Um, what were you ever thinking of that before? Were you ever, did you have an entrepreneurial bug when you were younger? You know, we did. We, my wife and I have tried to do different things throughout the years. A lot of them not therapy related, but they would just kind of fall to the wayside or we would get busy. You know, we had, we had young kids, so we had to pay attention to that. And so it occurred to me, I ought to dance with the one that I brought. Mm. And, you know, I spent all this time on my education and I was, I st hopefully still am a, a good therapist and I had good rapport with clients and I was driving 45 miles one way to get to work. And granted that was rural driving. I wasn't driving through the city. I chose where I worked on purpose because I didn't want to drive into the city, Yeah, but it was still basically an hour and a half to two hours a day just on the road. <clears throat> so I, I was considering well, could I get a job closer to home? And I did interview in some different places, but I was used to contract work. And so I could kind of come and go as I pleased where I was, although I worked more hours than most people there. I said, you know, what else can I do here? Maybe we should think about opening a practice. And I remember the day I floated that idea to my wife. I said, what if we did this? I said, we're, we're in a pretty good position because I was working contract work, I could pull away from there gradually. My wife was a stay-at-home mom at that point mm -hmm. with young kids, so she was busy. How many I kids at this point? 
four. Okay. And they were pretty young at that point. Yeah. And I said, you know, if, if we actually opened a brick and mortar practice, you know, you could hang out there with the kids, you know, it's a pediatric practice. That's, that's no big deal. And it would be close to the house because we could pick where it was going to be. And so we floated that idea around for a while, prayed about it, and we asked some local doctors and local professionals if they thought there was a need. We kind of did a a market analysis there. Now, since then, I've learned a lot more about market analysis than when I first opened my private practice. It it was a good situation. Mm -hmm. There was a need. And in the situation I was in, we were able to grow it slowly, but at the same time, be able to pay the rent and also pay the the bills at our house. And it just gradually grew. Word got out and word got around. And we're, I think we're on our third, at our original location in the original city that we opened, we're on our third location because we kept growing. We just had to have a bigger space. So a third location, but now you have two clinics. Is that we right? We do, yes. Yeah. yes. So we have a, a second clinic in a different city, in a different town. It's, it's fairly close. Mm-hmm to our original one, but it's in a bigger town. Yeah. Now, how you started out as a solo practice, right? Or did you hire people off the bat? You know, the first client we had was a speech client. Hmm. And I knew that that was the direction I wanted to go to be able to offer OT, PT, and speech. Mm-hmm. And in our area, I'm sure it's very similar in other areas, in your area even, more children receive speech therapy than OT or PT. And so I knew, I knew where my bread was going to be buttered. So I, I reached out to some speech therapists locally and asked them if they would be interested in doing some contract work. And there was quite a few to choose from. The first speech therapist we hired stayed with us. She just, she just left us a, a couple of years ago. So probably for six, seven years she was with us. Yeah. So, and, and she just, she grew, her caseload grew along ours. Yeah, and I, I remember the specific day when we we were pretty fresh as far as just opening, and my wife was the clinic pretty much. I had to go work at at the other job, you know, to pay the bills. And I remember getting the phone call from her and saying, "We just got a referral." And I was like, "That was great," because we all I think we had one or two kids at that point. Yeah, and I said, "That's great," and she said. It's it's a home health client. I was like, no big deal. It's you know, she told me where it was, fairly close. And there's four kids there who need all three therapies. Woo. And so I I thought, <laughs> you know, we hit the jackpot here. Yeah, yeah. And and we still treat those kids. I mean, we just had a great relationship with we still have a great relationship with the family. Mm-hmm. And that's been ten years we've been open. Yeah. Yeah. Now did you when you first opened your practice, did okay, so you, you got those initial referrals. Where where did most of your, in the first year or so, where did most of your referrals come from? The first year, I would say most of them came from the doctor. And that's, that's good and that's bad. It was good in that we were the only game in town. It's bad because in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I could have, I could have marketed so much better as far as getting referrals from places that were not, that was not the doctor. And over time, I realized that if I solely rely on referrals from the doctor, what if that doctor gets mad at me? What if the doctor 
closes, you know, and another doctor opens and they don't want to do, they don't want to refer to us that much. Sure. So I, over the years I've, you know, tried to figure out other ways to market to the local community and, and with the internet and the technology, it gets so much easier. Yeah. But yeah, in the beginning doctors. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm sure you're, uh, you have a lot of good outreach to daycare centers now. Um, other agencies, social service agencies, things on that uh, order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I remember as a grad student, long before I even thought of doing any private practice, one of my professors who had previously been in private practice warned us, um, I don't remember how the subject came up, but it, that if we ever did dis- decide to go into private practice, don't waste our time trying to talk to pediatricians, that they're a waste of time. And I found... So I found as in, in my early days of private practice, I found that mostly to be true, but based only on a couple, maybe two or three interactions. Mm-hmm. What I've learned since then is that I think that that idea is false. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another friend in private practice who does have a good relationship with a pediatrician. So I think that you've got to um, persevere and like you said, diversify your referral sources. You don't want to have people coming just from one place. And I, I get this question a lot from private practice owners or therapists who are interested in private practice is, how do I ask referral sources? And they're talking about doctors mostly for referrals. Yeah. And they tell me, you know, I took them my business cards. I took them a flyer. I bought them lunch. And they're just not giving me referrals. And so actually the last podcast I did, episode number 53, is how to ask for referrals from doctors and other professionals. I was like, well, let's just get this out there as far as some ideas on how to ask for referrals from doctors. And and mostly, I propose that the question is wrong. You shouldn't be asking, especially the first time. It should be more of building a relationship, and you should have what I call the heart of a servant. If you approach that professional, whether it be a doctor or a sociologist or another therapist, you should always have in your mind, how can I help this person? How can I be of service to this person? And what what's difficult is we want the, the immediate turnaround. We want the immediate jump in referrals. And it's not the best way to go. And it's really why I coach therapists to not open that brick and mortar practice the very first thing without a referral base yeah. because you could go broke that way. So that, that episode is all about how to build that relationship with doctors. And the first thing that I did when I opened my private practice, there was one pediatrician in town. There was other GPs in town, but only one pediatrician in town that happened to be my, my, my children's doctors. Hmm. So if you want to get a lot of referrals, have a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> that helps, sure. It's but you're bringing them in constantly for colds and checkups. Yeah, make sure they're sick a lot. Yeah, make sure they're sick you, know. a lot. you get them in and like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great idea. And I, by the way, I listened to that podcast episode of yours, and it was, I, you know, I've heard this that that mindset before, and I can't um, tell you how important I think that is. I, I it's something I wish I had. Uh, honed in on when I was in private practice. I mean, but it's something I can use today because now I take that type of question and I've even applied it to my podcast. Mm. And with each episode or idea that I have, it's always, why would anybody listen to this? Yeah. You know? Um, so, of course, I have my 
my little passion projects. But at the end of the day, I have to say, does anybody care about this topic or is anybody going to want to hear this? So, no, I think it's a very, it's a point well served. And I think it, it could serve you no matter what you do as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it, yeah. it really answers a lot of questions. If you start with the question of how can I be of service to this person? It really changes the paradigm. So the, one, of the, one of the first things I did is I had made up my mind to take a box of donuts to this pediatrician every Tuesday. Every Tuesday morning, about 8 or 8.30, I would arrive with a box of donuts. And it was just a little thing that I did. And I think I've only missed a handful of days, of Tuesdays, over the past 10 years to not bring donuts to that doctor. I remember the first time I didn't bring doctors to him. They actually called me because they were worried that I was something was wrong. I said, "Well, I'm actually on vacation." Now they now they don't look at this. I mean, the first time you did this, did you feel a little uh, queasy about it? Or did you just stride in there, no problem? You know, no gumption yeah. about this. I'm well, just I I would I would be lying if I didn't have some apprehension, some anxiety going in there. Even though they were my doctors, I, I still viewed them as potential lifeblood. Yeah, And so I had to really tell myself, and I still tell myself this whenever I am interacting with a potential referral source, is that I'm going to keep it short. And I have to remember that really, what do these people care about? Well, they're overloaded with paperwork and they're getting, trying to get to the next thing. So I always make the point of wear a smile, go in there and always be joyful. I never run anybody down, whether it's you know in the community or even in politics. Always be a, a positive force with anybody that you interact with, but especially a potential referral source. So my mm-hmm. modus operandi there is to go in, take the donuts, I brand it, I put uh, a sticker on there with my with my clinic name, email, phone number, and what we provide, OTPT and speech, on every box, whatever whatever it is, actually, whether it's donuts or, or paperwork, nice. I'm, brand, I'm branding it. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really clever idea. Yeah, and I've always done that. And over time, that's that's really paid off because I wasn't asking for anything. It was just, hey, how you doing? Got some donuts here. And if I could comment on anything they were doing in a positive way, okay, I have a good day. See you later. And it was probably six or eight months before I even asked them, hey, can I put some uh, business cards here? And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem, Scott. Just so, and my business cards still sit there, and there's no other business cards right there where people sign in except my business card. Mm. Now, and so I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Now, have they ever asked you to provide any type of in-service to their staff, or whether you're yourself or the speech therapist or a PT? You know, they never have. I've never offered, and they've never asked because, well, for a couple of reasons. The first reason I've never asked. I actually have provided them lunch one time um, because I was trying to let them know that we had a Spanish interpreter and I knew they had a large Hispanic population that they were serving. And so I brought the interpreter with me and I brought a speech therapist with me and we provided lunch. And I I know my main pediatrician doctor came in, which is another good point. If you, if you do something like that, I don't always suggest providing lunch because it, you might not be able to get that much traction from it. But if you do something like that, whether it's an in-service or, or a lunch, I talked to this doctor. I knew he had a farm. Mm-hmm. And we talked about chickens, cows, and horses the whole time. We didn't talk 
any type of therapy. We didn't talk anything medical, but mm-hmm. he was so, I was just listening mostly. I would ask him questions, but I knew he was interested in that. And I think that endeared him more to me than if I was to talk about sensory integration with him. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, people want to, people want to give business to uh, people that they know and feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a good story. Um, and it, it just, it totally makes sense. Now, how did you, how did you grow your business in the, in the early days? Was it a, a quick progression or was it very stepwise? It's, it seems like it was more step by step. And the main, one of the big ways we grew our business was word of mouth. And I think most private practice owners will tell you this is if you give good service, if you're likable and there again, if you have the heart of a servant, people are just going to pass the word around. I got um, a compliment the other day from a parent who called me on the phone, found us on the internet and said they had went into the local drugstore and the pharmacist had a, I believe had a niece who used us for therapy and was just talking us up real nice. And so that was just a referral by word of mouth. Now, of course we coupled that with, we have a nice website where, you know, we come up in search ranking. So there's some things that play off of that, but people like to have that testimonial, that, that, that word of mouth referral. Yeah. And that's, I can say that that's where, especially after the first few years of um, my own practice, that's where I got most of my uh, new clients from is referrals, people who already used me, no one used me. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. Now, so it was a pretty, uh, now in the early days, I want to ask you, what was the most painful lesson or lessons that you've learned? What did you, what area did you make mistakes in? Private insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> we still make mistakes with private insurance. They just don't play nice, you know? No, they don't. And that's, you know, I, I that's number two reason, I think, why, like, why I got out. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. still in it, but part-time. Um, all right. So tell me about the private insurance. What did you do in the early days? Did you do electronic building? Did you do everything by hand with the old HICFA 1500 forms? We did. We did it by hand with the red HICFA 1500 because this was back in, this was 2006. Now, I had been seeing some private clients before that, um, you know, when the internet was still shiny and new and didn't have the mechanism to, you know, to have that billing yeah. online. And so I, I was used to snail mailing the Hick for fifteen hundred, but then we did um, we did purchase uh, electronic. It wasn't an EMR. It was a billing mechanism called oh, was it Med is Med something? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. That's all right. It's been a, f- been a few years since we used it, and that worked fine for a while. We used uh, we paid a um, gateway was our uh, I can't remember the term for it now. They do the billing mechanism. So and. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, we would just we would just fill out the billing through our uh, software on our computer. It would send it to Gateway. Gateway would send it electronically to the insurances. We would get back the remittances sometimes in the mail, sometimes electronically, usually through the mail early on. Mm-hmm. And then we would apply those payments and then bill the clients. It was it was super sloppy in the beginning. I, I've I've made a lot of progress since then. There's a lot of good tools out there yeah. to help you out with that now. Yeah. So, um, what are you using these days? These days, I'm using uh, Clinic Source for our EMR. 
I've recently looked at Fusion Web Clinic, and I've, they've made Fusion Web has made some ch- big changes to their user interface. So, mm-hmm. I actually have a link on my website to Fusion Web Clinic um, because I, I was so impressed. I, I sat down with them for a couple hours, and they showed me around. Clinic Source works pretty good for us right now. We might be moving to Fusion Web Clinic in the near future. Mm-hmm. Those are two. Those are pediatric based, okay. and both of them are really good. Um, then we use Office Ally for billing, yeah. and that's at uh, officeally.com. Yeah, we and, use Office Ally now too. Yeah, yeah, Office Ally is good. Office Ally actually has a, an EMR called mm-hmm. Practice Mate, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I know some therapists who use that. It's it's really not that robust, but it is it is fairly inexpensive. Yeah, and for a smaller part time person, it might be the just yeah. the trick. So um, I would imagine you have a um, full-time billing person. Would that be correct? Or? Full, um, it would be full-time. It's actually been my mother-in-law who is retired from Blue Cross. So she sort of speaks the language. Whoa, that's good. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that did help. That was a blessing for sure. And, and she helps out in the clinic also if we need a little bit of front office coverage, if somebody's out sick or whatever, mm-hmm. she, she'll help out. And she, yeah, she's, she does the billing for us, which, and she'll babysit the kids too. Yeah. Now, okay. So, uh, what double bonus. Now, <laughs> I remember telling or talking to you last year, and I think you mentioned to me that you, most of your clients uh, were from uh, a single payer source. Was that correct? Or That's right. Medicaid is our, our biggest payer source. And yeah. we, um, we do bill insurance, Blue Cross, and health advantage. Now, I tell you, I will tell you over the years, I've had to pare down what insurances that we accept. And if, if anybody out there listening has ever billed United uh-huh. or Cigna yeah. or Qualchoice <laughs> yeah. and even some others out there, I, I, I probably three or four years ago, I just said, you know, I can't do it. I can't even bill it out of network. I, I'm just tired of dealing with these people. And so I've went to for clients who have those insurers, what I've told them, and I tell them on my website, and I tell them on the intake paperwork, and even verbally, they'll ask me, do you take my insurance? And I say, no, but here's what we can do for you. I always follow up with, here's what we can do. And so I'd let them know, once you pay us, I will give you a receipt that you can turn into your insurance and seek reimbursement that way. And that does a couple things. It, it lets me know, if that parent is serious about therapy, they're going to follow through with that. Yeah. Because they, then they, they buy into the, the thought of, I want therapy for my kids. Now, I'm just curious. What is your conversion in that type of scenario? I'm it's pretty low. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine, yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about, and this goes through my head so often, about, all right, when and if do I pull away from Blue Cross and, you know, from being in network and... Yeah. When and if do I sever the relationship with Cigna? Well, I mean, I'm out of network, but when do I get to the point where I do what you just mentioned, uh, yeah. put it all in the family? And, you know, I, I talked to my wife about this and she does the billing for me. She thinks it's just a bad idea. I sort of, I'm in the same camp. I'm, I'm not there yet. Maybe I will one day, but yeah. It, and it's it, one of those things you could actually try for a little while, just a trial period and see how it goes. Now, one one tip I will give you, what I try to do when someone calls me, because usually it's a phone call, right? Yeah. Do you take my insurance? No, we're not in network, and, and I can't bill your insurance. And I'd give them the spiel. 
I can give you an invoice after you pay. And they're usually not going to take you up on that. But, and this is the reason why, because they're going to shop around. Who else takes my insurance? So what you want to do is get their name and phone number, probably even before you begin the conversation of you're not in network. What's your name? What's your, what's your phone number? And then what you want to do after about a week, call, call them back and ask them, did you find anybody who was in network with you? Because a lot of times what they're doing is they're going to shop around, but they might just put it on the back burner. Oh, I won't do that right now. Yeah. But they might have shopped around. And a lot of times nobody is in their network for the very reason that you don't want to be in their network. Yeah. Yeah. So if you follow up with that, you might be the first one to touch base with them and they might be in a situation of nobody's in my network, but I'm going to choose Jeff because he, he cared enough to follow up with me on that. Oh, sure. And I, I found, I don't know if it's, it's the same thing in your neck of the woods, but the, I think the issue is most of the, you know, I can't think of any of the providers in my area, the small business owners. Um, most of them are in Blue Cross's network, but the other guys, they bill as an out-of-network as well. Now, if you are a patient, a parent, and you're, you're in that, those networks, the other choice you have is going to a larger hospital-based practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually all those guys are, are in network, uh, which leads to another issue that I, that I had as a private practice uh, person is that I was never even able to have any conversations with insurance companies about being in the network. Either panels were closed or you couldn't get into the right person. Um, it was just, uh, it was just a nightmare. I'm just curious, had you ever tried, uh, contracting with Humana and the Cygnos and United Healthcare and getting in their network? Was that something you looked into? Well, yeah, we were actually in, in network with United and Cigna and I think even Qualchoice. Um, we were in network with all of them and they just, <clears throat> the reimbursement was so pathetic and so slow. Yeah. It, it really hurt my cash flow and, you know, therapists have to get paid it, it wasn't just me, and it, it was it was such a detriment that you know the juice was not worth the squeeze as far as waiting on that payment and playing all of their games as far as paperwork. It just to me it wasn't worth it. And now I, I do have the benefit of having a large payer source in Medicaid that is timely and we know the system, so that really helps us out. You know, if you're a therapist and you're just playing the private insurance game, then you really have to study. How to you know if you want to be a network is is the money going to be worth it and then have your sessions short enough where you can cover that plus you know plus a little bit of profit so you can keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of a I mean I would it would be really scary to start with like thirty clients who all had insurance and you didn't know how to bill that insurance nor knew how it reimbursed <laughs> because your cash flow could be so messed up. Yeah, that would that be a, a nightmare. You'd be out of business. Yeah, yeah, that would be tough. Now, I want to get to your your courses. Um, you so this is, and later on, I want to talk about just you as an individual and your productivity systems that you have in place. Because I, I find it amazing that you have five kids. Uh, a practice. I got practice. six kids. I got Sorry, six, six kids. kids. <laughs> I'm thinking Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> so don't get me in kids. trouble. <laughs> yeah, six kids. Private practice at two locations. You've come out with an ebook and now an e-course. Uh, what? So you okay? So you're on in you're ten. When did you start to establish an online uh, presence in terms of the podcast? In terms of offering advice to other private practice owners out there? Yeah, 
it's been uh, three years this summer, I believe. And, and the impetus for that was I had been doing private practice at that point for about seven years. A friend of my wife's, um, who is an OT, was starting a private practice in, in another town in our state. So she reached out. She knew we had a private practice. She reached out to my wife and asked if I would mind talking with her and her partners. She had three other therapists that she was going to partner with, and her husband came also and just hung out for a few hours in my clinic and picked my brain for a couple of hours. And that kind of got the bug going of, you know, if if these people need some help and that they emailed me back and said it was a tremendous help just to sit and talk and ask questions. I was like, I wonder if other people could benefit from the same knowledge, just someone else who's been there a little bit further down the road. And so that was the impetus of um, startatherapypractice.com. And at the time, and I know, you, I know you're the same way, Jeff, at the time I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was like, I want a podcast. And I don't have to come up with all this great information. I can learn from other practice owners. Mm-hmm. And so that was the launch of um, the Start of Therapy Practice podcast. And I, most of them are interviews with other practice owners. Sometimes, like I mentioned on episode 53, it's just me giving some instruction. Yeah. And so that was, that's been three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. And then, so next, I believe, came the ebook. That'd be right. It did. And that, yeah. That was sort of down the road. I I didn't start the website or the podcast to write an ebook. I, it was just something I would to see if it would work. Yeah. And at the time, I had put some systems in place in my private practice to allow me to step back a little bit because you can only work so many 12, 14 hour days before you get burnout. And I, I didn't want to do that anymore as far as spending all my time at the clinic and, and away from the house. So, I implemented some systems and hired some some office help that allowed me to step away from the practice to do some other things. I still like today. Today is is today's Thursday. I'm I'm at home, um, but both of my practices continue to run. Which I never dreamed of that when I started my private practice. I thought I'm going to do one on one practice for the rest of my life, and actually I would be happy doing that because I love treating the clients. But as time went by and I had more kids, six kids, I wanted to spend more time with them. That's awesome. Now, how long did it take you to write this ebook? My wife and I, I remember we started in the fall because there's not much to do in the wintertime, right? You know, it's cold outside. So I actually converted my walk-in closet to an an office. It's just real small. And I said, there's no windows in here. I can focus. And so I'm the ideas guy and my wife is the wordsmith. And so I would write down the ideas and, and put them in, a, you know, in an understandable form and then she would polish it. And that was our mechanism. We had the outline and we just, we just hammered away on it probably for five months. Mm-hmm. And I probably did that three days a week. Now, how many chapters, how many pages are in this book? That is, since it's an ebook. Or digital pages, it, it, I don't know how they it, measure it. I mean, it, if you laid it out as a book, it would probably have... Let's see, you'd have to double it because it would be a book. It'd have close to 200 pages, 220, somewhere around there in a book form. Yeah, and you cover everything in there. Setting up your practice, marketing. Uh, Yeah, I I took it from the angle of what would I want to know if I knew nothing? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what I tried to put in there. And what's the response been to the book? 
It's been great. You know, it's it's always scary to put that much information and and then tout it as, hey, this is what you need to know. And then to see if people will actually purchase it and then not have any backlash like, hey, you're an idiot. Why did you write this? But it's <laughs> yeah. all it's all been great. Sure. I mean, I, the response has been really, really nice. Now, do you know, do you have any information as to who's purchased it? Is it mostly newcomers or uh, seasoned veterans? I think it's mostly people who are either considering private practice or they've just started the practice within probably the last year. And they, and they want to know, <clears throat> you know, they want to take the shortcut of whether it's private insurance or leasing a facility or finding clients. That's, I think that they're pretty fresh as far as private practice. Yeah. Now I, so the e-course, when was that launched? That is brand new. It's it's still got it's still real shiny. I mean, it's so new. Um, yeah, it's just just a couple months old, really. Oh, just two months. I thought it was a little longer. I was looking at this. It's called the uh, Academy of Private Practice. What I what I think is really cool about this. I'm sure this thing took you months to plan out. Oh um, man, this thing is. Uh, I implore anybody who's interested in private practice to check out Scott's uh, website. What I what I think is amazing is first of all, I, I knew I had to ask you is who designed your web page? Was this something? This does not look like your t- uh, typical or even an advanced WordPress plugin. It looks like a professional designer did this thing. Now the the startertherapypractice dot com webpage, uh, I designed that using the Divi theme D I V I, and I actually got the idea from that for that setup from Chris Ducker. If you, I don't know if his website still like this, but I liked the banded look, you know, as far as information in bands. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very a very clean look, so I stole that idea from him. Oh. And now the the academy website, I I didn't have that much knowledge. It is a WordPress website, and there um there there's a theme with it. Mm-hmm. He uh my design the web designer I hired is uh, I can't remember the theme of it now, but it's page builder. That's what it is. Page builder. Oh, just it looks so professional. Oh, um, he he did an excellent job. I didn't think it would turn out that good, but I was I, was, I can really uh, sing its accolades since I didn't make it. I was really impressed. I mean, it cost me a little bit of money, but it was yeah. money well spent because I couldn't have done it. Oh yeah, and um, so just to get into what is what is in this academy of private practice, you have, and the, you know, you have a very slick video uh, introduction talking about what to expect with it, but um. You want to make sure that everybody who's considering doing this and is going to get as much value as possible. I can see that um, because not a, in addition to all the materials that you provide, all the step-by-step instructions, there are also there's, you have you're creating a mastermind group as well. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that. once a month, which actually coming up this Monday, we have a, a mastermind group, and it's just a a a video-based mastermind. We get on there and we talk shop. And, and therapists can ask questions and it it is face to face. So it, it keeps it very personal. And it's just, I think it's something I'm in a mastermind group with some other therapists. Uh, it's not necessarily about private practice, although they are all in private practice. I get so, I got so much from that that I wanted to create something similar for therapists in private practice. And I, hopefully people are not, scared away from that uh, as far as talking live like you and I are right now 
face to face with other practice owners because you can get so much information, not only for me, but the other practice owners who are right there. And it, it, it's, I mean, it's just such a boost to be able to talk to another practice owner and commiserate about billing insurance or whatever. Now, do you have any, any newbies, any people who are just getting started or not quite there yet in this mastermind yet? I know it's early. It is really early. Um, since it is so early, it's it, everybody that's in the academy right now is either thinking about private practice or they have just started a private practice. Yeah. And so they're, they're I mean, I would love, hopefully I can get some people in there who, you know, I've been in private practice for a little bit, but then they want to automate it and they want to really take it to the next level because that's, that's what I've focused on in some of the, some of the courses in here is how are we going to automate this? Because you don't want to work 14 hours a day for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And then automate automation automatically allows you to scale it. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see some people in there who are looking for that. Now I'm, I'm just curious, do you see yourself, your role um, in the mastermind group, but also just generally when people join this Academy of private practice, do you see yourself as a, as a mentor, someone who maybe might push someone when they're feeling uncomfortable or unsure. Well, that's it's, it's that good, gets in the psychological, uh, you know, it's issues, a good but, question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think anybody who actually steps into private practice is going to be uncomfortable. I, I was, and I still am as yeah. far as growing the, the practice and, and just running it every day. You know, some, sometimes you've got to sit back and say, who am I to be running this business? The other people know a lot more about, this than I do. I'm, I'm nothing special here, but somebody's got to do it. And you, if the more you challenge yourself, the more you grow into that position. And it's, it's sort of like, uh, it, it's sort of like the new towel analogy. I, I, I thought about this when I bought some new towels not too long ago. You have to wash that towel how many times before it actually absorbs any water. So it's, it's very similar with anything new. You have to actually step into that role quite a few times before you absorb it and say, okay, I, I do this. This is who I am. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah, you should be uncomfortable because if you're not uncomfortable, it's not important. And this is a very important thing, starting a new business and helping people. It is. Yeah. So, okay. So we're in the early days of your e-course and is there any early feedback? The feedback I've, I've had so far is positive. Um, I had, I had a consultation with a therapist who she was really stuck in her practice, like I said, working the 12-hour days and not really getting as much done as she had hoped that she would get done in, a, in any given day. And so just having her talk through that, she was working way too much. And her complaint was, you know, I'm at the clinic. I can't get anything done. And I said, well, you need to be away from the clinic some. And that just never dawned on her that uh, she would leave her clinic yeah. And it didn't, it didn't to me for a long time, but I get so much done when I'm not at the clinic. I mean, it, my, my, I have to switch my mentality when I'm at the clinic that I'm not, I do paperwork there, but I'm not there. That's not my main job. My main job is to interact with my therapist, interact with the clients and put out fires as they come up because that's what happens. So it's, it's sort of a mentality shift there. So it, mm -hmm. that was, some, I think that answers the questions as far as early feedback. Yeah. Yeah. As far as feedback on the course itself, nobody's complained yet. So I, I think it's, 
<laughs> and I'm sure you'll tweak it as you go along. You'll find out what people sure. are liking and what, what they want more of. Um, I wanted to take a detour because I think the, if I, well, let me ask you, I'm going to, before I put it out there, what do you think is the hardest aspect? Um, what is, what do you think is, uh, hurts, what hurts your bottom line the most in your data, in your private practice? Mm, good question. It's a leading question. Well, in, in one of the courses, I, I, I tell the viewer that cash flow is king. Cash is not king. Cash flow is king. Mm -hmm. And that's with any business. You know, if you're, especially when you're billing insurance and you're, if you send out bills to clients, you're waiting on that reimbursement to pay your bills or to pay your therapist who work for you. And so to keep that cash flow going and keep, keep abreast of that is, is the main thing. Now, obviously you get to have clients, so that's, that's important also, but being able to bill those clients and their insurance is, is so key. Yeah. So, okay. So here's what I was getting at. Um, one of the hardest parts of being in private practice was cancellations. Mm -hmm. Kids get sick and they go on vacations. You go on vacation occasionally. What do you have a, a number? What is your overall cancellation rate for your clinics? Um, Usually it runs between 20-30%. What I've done, uh, we've done this a couple years ago, is I implemented a reward system. At first I had implemented a punishment system, and that's really bad psychology, isn't it? Oh, sure. You want to reward the good and ignore the bad as long as nobody's getting hurt. But anyway, yeah. I implemented a reward system. If you come 10 times in a row, you get a $10 gift card. And so we have this big whiteboard with the client's names on there. And the very first thing that the, that the therapists do is they say, let's go mark the board. And so they go in there and mark the board and they talk about, oh, you're on number five, five more times, and you get a gift card. Now, I buy the gift cards that I think the kids will like and not the parents necessarily because the kids are going to motivate the parents to come to therapy. Another thing I've recently added on to that in order to get some reviews, uh, for each on each gift card, I put a little a little note that says, "You know, congratulations, ten times in a row. Please take a moment to give us a review on on Google or to fill out a survey." Yeah. And so I put that, and I put a link to the, each of those on that card. And what that's going to do is that's going to feed that because that person's getting rewarded. They want to reciprocate some of them and give you a review and probably that's going to be a positive review because they just had a great experience as far as getting rewarded for coming to therapy so it's a, another way to generate some google juice as yeah. far as search nice tie in there yeah. um now okay so you talked earlier about market analysis can you do you have a quick um outline of what someone is interested in getting into a private practice, what a market analysis would look like for them? Are there easy tools to use uh, within five, 10 minutes to get a snapshot? I do have, I have one here on, on the, in the academy. I was, let me see if I can <clears throat> get to it. Mostly, uh, we like to tell people that you need to take some time to do a market analysis. I think a lot of people, they just want to do the internet search. You know, what's, what's going on in the internet, which is definitely a tool you should use for your market analysis, but you should also be out in the community, just seeing, driving around, seeing what's out there 
and seeing if you think there's a need. And just like I mentioned, when we opened my private practice, we went and talked to the pediatrician. That was just to ask them, do you think there's a need for a therapy business here? Is there, are people going unseen or are they driving a long ways for therapy? And usually I think people will be pretty honest with you as far as if they think there's a need. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to just tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, as, far, as far as a checklist market analysis, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll extract some of this from the academy and um, I'll, I'll send it to you and then you can share it with your audience. Oh, awesome. But I, I, I do have some steps on that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, that I just remembered is I had created a, a special web page just for your audience where they can download a survey of, uh, there's about 150 private practice owners that I've surveyed over the years. And I've never given this ebook away. It usually comes with the, the main ebook of how to start a therapy practice. But I wanted to provide this for your audience. They can go to startatherapypractice.com backslash CIS. That's for your podcast. Oh, Not CSI, CIS. CIS. And they can, they can just download it for free right there. Very nice. Much thanks for that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to end. We talked, I think, before I hit record about being that you're such a um, productive guy, you've done all this great work. What does an average day look like for you? What time do you get up? I, I, I know there's probably no one average day, but let's, uh, you know, let's take yesterday. Yesterday was Wednesday. <laughs> what did you do? Well, I, I have two average days, I guess. So I have days where I don't go into the clinic and that looks completely different than days when I do go into the clinic. When I go into the clinic, which I, I went in yesterday, my, one of my office workers has been on vacation, so I've had to pull that slack. When I go into the clinic, I usually get there around 7, 7.30. I get up about 5, and that's just time to drink some coffee, you know, read the word and, and catch up on news. Mm-hmm. And if I can squeeze a little exercise in there, I do that too. So get to the clinic 7, 7.30, check some emails, clients start flowing in. And then fires start erupting, you know, as far as clients needing something, therapists asking questions. And so I try to get some paperwork done in between that as far as keeping up with paperwork needed for clients. What I've run into here recently is a Medicaid audit that I didn't know I had because Gmail was not allowing those emails to come through. Oh. So I've been in sort of a panic mode over that a little bit, but yeah. we're getting it, getting that under control. Okay. So it's, it's a lot of paperwork and putting out fires when I'm at the clinic. Now, when I'm not at the clinic, um, I'm able to be at, at, at my house or I'll run around the, the community doing some marketing type stuff. But when I'm at the house, I'm creating stuff for the website, start a therapy practice. And, you know, we spend time with my family. It's great mm-hmm. when I'm at the house because I can just go upstairs and check out what the kids are doing and visit with the wife. So that's, that's, that's been a huge blessing to be able to step away just a little bit to have that extra time. Yeah, that's, that's great. Now, I'm just curious, do you ever feel comfortable, comfortable enough to step away from everything for more than a week vacation? Mm. We've done it. Um, we've done it over the years. Last year we went to Auburn. Uh, my, my son wa- had the opportunity to go to, um, 
a a class there for a week. Um, so we were gone a little over a week, and the the, the clinics they ran they ran fine. Yes. Yeah. I'm since I'm not there every day. I think the therapist and and the clients don't expect me there every day, and so it's easier than if I was just there all the time. And I have taken breaks over the years as far as going somewhere. But now that I have some office workers, it really helps out. I can just say, hey, I'm going to be gone, and we're going to do this next month. We're going to be going to uh, the East Coast to drop my son off at college. So we'll probably be gone close to two weeks. And I, I expect it to run pretty good. It, do, it does help to have my, my mother-in-law active in the clinic as far as she knows what's going on. I mean, she knows the billing. She know that's quite a bit right there. Oh yeah. So she, yeah. she's kind of a go-to person, you know. If you have if you have a question, ask her. I always tell the therapist, and you know, with technology, texting, phone calls, emails, it makes it pretty easy. Yeah. Now, are you? Do you have anything else on the horizon that you're any other long-term projects that you're just getting off the ground or that you would like to? Hmm. I've spent most of my time on creating videos and and all kinds of downloads for the academy and I've I'm, I've been taking a breather from that what I've also recently used my skills business wise to help my church create a feasibility study for purchasing a facility that's been something different um, that I've done here recently that's kind of made me stretch yeah but it's as far as things coming up on the horizon it's more of grow you know growing the e-course and creating different podcast episodes I, I, I'm kind of into some video right now mm-hmm. as far as teaching through video and that's uh, that's something that I've been working on also very nice well Scott um, thank you for being on the show today oh right. thanks for inviting me Jeff it's been a, a pleasure and um, where can people find you best place yeah go over to startatherapypractice.com I have some free forms over there and I, ha- I have a lot of free tools that you can have. And you can check out the Academy of Private Practice and all my podcasts and my ebook over there. If you just have a question about private practice, I love answering those. Email me, scott at startatherapypractice.com and connect with me on Twitter and Facebook and all those places. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. Thank you, Scott, for being on the show today. Very much appreciated. And Thank you for all the work you're doing in helping folks uh, develop their own private practice. Uh, so I mentioned in the beginning, in the intro, that Scott is going to have this little special uh, giveaway. And if you go to startatherapypractice.com forward slash CIS for conversations and speech, Scott has a survey ebook. Now, this is, this is kind of cool. So whether you are in private practice or thinking about getting to a practice, what this is, is he's compiled a survey from, I think, roughly 150 private practice owners. And it's basically a survey on what they know, uh, tools, tips, advice, statistics. So if you want to know what it's like to be in a private practice, this is the resource you should check out. Now, for those of you interested in enrolling in Scott's Academy of Private Practice, go ahead and check out a link that I provided. You should either... Uh, see this in your podcast player or at my website at conversationsandspeech.com. If you click on the link that indicated, you will receive $100 off 
uh, his course, and that is with the promo code CIS. Check out for that. Check out that link. Um, in full disclosure, I do receive an affiliate commission should you use that link and enroll in the Academy of Private Practice. And this is where I talk about the monetization of my podcast. As most of you know, podcasts are free. We can't charge for these things, nor would I want it to be uh, any other way. For me, this has always been a passion project. For those of you who have been listening to me from the beginning, and uh, it was never, you know, the idea of making money was never first and foremost in my head. The vast majority of people who run a podcast don't make a dime off of this. That being said, I do have ongoing costs that are probably a bit higher than the typical podcaster, uh, given the upfront uh, costs and equipment for microphones, mixing boards, uh, not to mention the monthly fees I pay for hosting for my website, as well as for the audio content. Uh, So there is that, and uh, I've kind of gone back and forth in terms of what possible models I can use to help support the podcast going forward and to even expand some of the things that I'm doing. So I just want all of you to know that um, I have your interests first and foremost in mind when uh, considering any advertiser or sponsorship for this podcast. In fact, I was approached about two months ago to advertise a service. I won't name the company, but they offered what sounded to be uh, a fairly lucrative deal, uh, my end. And uh, I couldn't do it because I didn't feel that the service was, uh, it, I didn't feel like there was enough evidence base to support it right now. And I would only consider uh, partnering with a sponsor uh, whom I trust, whom I use or used in the past, and that has a solid track record. So I just want you all to know that uh, very upfront. This is, um, that's kind of where I stand. My intention is to always keep sponsorship to a minimum. In the case of Scott Harmon, I really believe he's doing incredible work. He puts his best effort forward in everything that he does. And and if I were getting to private practice for the first time, I don't think I don't think I would hesitate to enroll in his course. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, Jeff at conversationsinspeech.com. I'm happy to listen to any and all show suggestions, but being that I'm a part-time podcast producer, getting to those suggestions is not always easy or or, uh, feasible. But keep those emails coming. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.